Um, I'm going to pre- be preaching quite a lot tonight out of the book of John. So in, in reading the Gospel of John, I believe that, there were, that if ever there was a song that could be attributed to this disciple, it would be this song. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Heavenly Father, the beginning and the end. Much more than this, my friend. He's the Son of Man. He's coming back again. I know Jesus is the Father. I know Jesus is the Son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. And all these three are one. Amen. Throughout the Gospel of John, he has written to prove that Jesus is the Christ and the promised Messiah. That he is fully God and that he came in flesh to distinctly and accurately reveal God. That he is the source of eternal life for all. And for us to have eternal life, we must and need to believe in him. In his coronation, God laid aside his heavenly glory to live among us. Jesus is the eternal God who became flesh and blood. And the whole theme of the gospel of John is the deity of Jesus Christ. The author, John, wastes no time, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, in this gospel. There is is no account of the journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, of the birth of Jesus, of the manger, the angels, the star, the shepherds, the wise men, and gifts. But it starts right out with the deity of Jesus Christ. If you can turn with me with John chapter 1, Verses 1 to 14. I need something. I need something. My, my glasses are very bland, and I keep using my plate. Can I take this? No, I don't want them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. My margin reference in my Bible goes to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, which speaking of Christ very convincingly says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. By the word of his power, which refers to Hebrews 1 and 3, all things were created, and all things created are kept and sustained in their present state of perfect harmony. Balance, function, existence, order, diversity, majesty, and beauty. If unsupported by him, all would fall in disorder, collapse, or sink back to nothing. Only only the infinite power of Christ could be sufficient to uphold the universe, to preserve the harmonious, continuous actions of the sunshine and the moonlight, the rotation of seasons producing seed time, growing time, and harvest time. 
essential rainfall, flowing rivers, growing trees, oceans with their tides, and life cycles of birth and death. Without him, the sun would not shine, nor the seasons rotate. The, sun would not, the rain would not descend. There would be no running rivers, no growing trees, no oceans and tides. All of life and every aspect of creation depends on him every day. Creation is a one-off miracle. Over all these thousands of years, it has been upheld. And God doesn't have to go back to repair, to add, to adjust, to improve, or to alter anything. And further to the visible, he created the invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. And we know by faith that these invisible creations do exist. Going back to John chapter 2, I mean John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe of the light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto Israel, I am has sent me unto you. In the Gospel of John, there are eight I am statements made by Jesus. John 6 and 35, I am the bread of life. I won't give the scripture references, I'll just give the I ams. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. John set out to give the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John wrote the words of Christ from Revelation 22 verse 13, which said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Amen. He is the rock of all ages. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. We are, we are very, very blessed that we can worship him and come into his house and feel his wonderful presence. To know this wonderful truth, to experience the love of God, to be able to be called his children, <clears throat> to have a relationship with him and enter into this place where we can entertain his presence and he walks amongst us and he touches us deep down in our lives. And every time we come into the house of the Lord, it must not be forsaken coming to the house of the Lord because as we come to the 
house of the Lord. We're not here by accident. Amen. The Lord God has called us and he's drawn us and he's put us here. And he's here for a specific reason. And if you want healing, <coughs> if you need something... <coughs> You will get it in the house of the Lord. You might not get a, a great revelation that stands out and shouts at you, but the Lord is going to do a work inside of your life, and you are going to grow, and you're going to grow, grow closer to God. And God can touch you, and can heal you, and He can deliver you. Just remember one thing, that living for God is a process. You're not born again and then you're 21 years of old. When you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you are a babe, so to speak, and you begin that journey of living for God. You begin that journey of beginning to know God, or understand Him, live for Him and serve Him. And it takes time. And in your natural birth, you're not born and then 21 straight away. You have a process of growth and development. And likewise, spiritually, we have a process of growth and development. It takes time and we need to be patient. God cannot reveal everything to us all at once. It would kill us. It would destroy us. It would never be any benefit to us. But gradually and bit by bit, he's strengthening us. He's taking us to a place where we can serve him in a higher place, in a deeper realm, amen, and get ever closer to him. It takes practice. It takes doing. How will you ever know that God answers prayers? I want to ask you a question. How will you ever know that God answers prayers? Because I tell you, or because pastor tells you, that's true. But when you pray, and God answers your prayers, you will never ever forget that God answered your prayers. That God Almighty heard from you, heard from me, little old Sheila, God heard from me, and he answered my prayer. He gave me the answer, and I'm, I'm thankful, and I've been changed, because I know he heard me, and he answered my prayer, and he knows I'm Sheila, and he knows where I am, and he knows how I got there, and he knows that he took me out of the miry clay. He knows that he didn't leave me on my own. He knows that he pulled me out of the darkness into his marvelous light, and it's for whosoever will, not for me alone. It's for whosoever will. That's how we got here. Praise his name. Praise his name. Glory, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let Jesus fix it for you. That's a song we used to sing. He knows just what to do. Let him have his way. And when you pray, let Jesus fix it for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The Jewish leaders did not accept Jesus because of his claims to deity. The word Messiah is the English translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. I don't know if my pronunciation is correct, but anyway, which means anointed. And this usually refers to a person initiated into God's service by being anointed with oil. As pastor taught recently that at the time of the baptism of Jesus, when he came up out of the water, there was a visible sign and a voice from heaven given by God for confirmation to John the Baptist and for the benefit of the Jewish leaders and the onlooking that this Christ was being anointed. Although, verily, he was ordained before the foundation of the earth. I mean, it was already ordained, foreordained for Jesus Christ to come, but was manifest in these last times for you. John the Baptist recognized Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God 
which taketh away the sin of the world, and he bear record that this is the Son of God. John makes mention in chapter 7, verses 30 to 9, the last day, that great day of the feast. This refers to the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Ingathering, and Sakuth. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. The feast commences on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and it lasts for seven days. The numbers of seven are not a coincidence, but they are significant in God's perfect will. The first day is a holy convocation, and there shall be no servile work carried out. On the other days there shall be an offering made by fire, a burnt offering, a meat offering, sacrifices and drink offerings unto the Lord. This is also a joyful time acknowledging God's provision to Israel coming from Egypt and his continued ongoing provision. Consider some of the provision. God gave them water to drink out of the rock. He gave them the law and spiritual ordinances. He gave them the tabernacle and he taught them about sacrifices and he gave them atonement. Shoes that did not wear out manna daily, a pillar of cloud, and a pillar of fire. And in all of these types, many of these types, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in these provisions. Of the feast, an extra day is added, being the eighth day. And here again, there is a holy convocation or a solemn assembly where no servile work is carried out. God told Moses that, ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born dwell in booths. And here reference is made to Genesis 37, I mean 33 and 17. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a an house and made booths for the, his cattle. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Booths called Succoth are temporary dwellings rather like tents. And made from palm fronds and leafy tree branches. In the book of Jonah it states that when Jonah went out of the city, he made a booth and sat under it for shade. The Jews lived in these booths for the period of the feast, which was a reminder to them of how the Israelites lived and traveled during their 40-year exodus from Egypt to Canaan. There are three aspects to the purpose of the feasts. Firstly, they were communal, in that they drew the nation together for celebration and worship as they recalled their common origin and the experiences of the Israelites. Secondly, they were commemorative in that they kept alive the story of deliverance and freedom from bondage in Egypt and the Exodus experience. Thirdly, they were theological in that the observance of the feasts presented the participants with lessons on the reality of sin, judgment, and forgiveness, on the need for thanksgiving to God and on the importance of trusting God rather than gathering and trusting possessions. God gives fixed dates in his calendar for each feast, and the Israelites are expected to observe these feasts. The dates that God gives are fixed and they set. The religious leaders were seeking to seize and arrest Jesus because they could not accept his statements of his deity, and that he, the Messiah, 
had come in fulfillment of prophecy. Without drawing any attention to him, he went on to the feast, and it would seem that the drink offerings or the water drawing ceremony was taking place at that time. Apparently, the drink offering was very prolific, with much water drawn from the pool of Siloam, carried to the temple, and then poured on the altar until it flowed like a river. Teaching on the subject referred to Isaiah 12 and 3, There with, there with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And further reference in Exodus 17, 5 and 6, When Moses struck the rock and water came forth for the thirsty children of Israel to drink. At the feast time, this prolific water pouring was symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is no limit on the supply of the Holy Spirit. There is no limit on the supply of the Holy Spirit. The scripture in John chapter 7 verse 37 says, In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The time for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would only come after Jesus had been glorified, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. There's no Holy Ghost without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is the ultimate experience which completely fulfills and satisfies. Nothing can ever satisfy the longing in our lives for God except that we have Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Until that time comes, we are always searching and longing for that fulfillment. Unfortunately, in our searches, we look to sinful pleasures to be fulfilled. The pleasure that only lasts for a short season then we, look, we lose interest in that pleasure, and so we begin to look for another pleasure, or more pleasure. I say pleasure in inverted commas because we think it is pleasure, but in fact it is enslavement. We drown out our convictions and our conscience, and we go deeper into the world. Sinful pleasures moving further, and the worldly sinful pleasures moving further and further away from God. Deep down in our conscience, we are aware that we are going wrong and try to justify ourselves. But the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If sin was not so bad, there would be no need for the words of Jesus in the book of John which say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If sin is not so bad, why on earth was it so necessary for Jesus to suffer so harshly, to be beaten until he bled, insulted, ridiculed, and nailed to the cross? His side was pierced and he was left hanging on the cross until he died. Sin is bad. Sin is very bad. It separates us from God. And exactly opposite to sin, God is holy. As humans, we have to have satisfaction. We have to fulfill a longing that's deep down inside of us. We have to have what satisfies. But there is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy or give lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. Absolutely nothing. It is so amazing. 
that in the deepest, darkest, loneliest, most frightening, appalling, and degraded condition that we may find ourselves in, God still reaches out saying, come. And no matter how we have deafened our ears, not willing to hear our conscience, all the wise words of people encouraging us to come out of those places, even though we would be feeling wretched and fighting ourselves, we are still able to hear, to feel, and respond to God saying, come. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 it says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, amen, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, of our God. When we, when we respond to the gospel, when we respond to God calling us, when we respond and we're obedient to the gospel, this is what will happen to us. As long as we're completely obedient to the gospel, we will be washed, we will be sanctified, we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Once someone explained justified to me saying, just as if I'd never sinned. And this can only happen because God so loved the world. Love. Love. The Greeks had four words to describe what we call love. And very basically, the first three are eros, which is romantic love, philia, which is enjoyment, fondness, friendship, and stork, family loyalty. All of this is the kind of love we humans have one to another. It's the kind of love that we recognize in our humanity. This is the type of love that we know and that we long for. But in humanity, in humanity, there are more often than not conditions attached to the love that is given. People are expected to meet certain standards or behavior for that love to continue. In regard specifically to romantic love, In our youthful we found my place. In our youthful ways and dating back to the Victorian times, when a female wants to know if a hopeful suitor returns her feelings of love, or if there has been a breakdown in their relationship and she is broken hearted and separated from that love, she would pluck petals of a daisy flower, say, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And it wouldn't stop until she got to the last petal. And whatever the last petal was, say, say the last petal said, he loves me, then she would say, ah, oh, he loves me. Amen. If it was the last petal said he loves me not, then she would have a crisis on her hands. Amen. That's, that is uh, just a bit of fun. But the type of love that God has for us is known as agape. And, the only, and only agape love is free from the error of humanity. Agape is love that comes unconditionally, love that sacrifices, that forgives, and is freely given. If you're concerned that anything or something may have, you may have done wrong has separated you from the love of God, or you're concerned about God's love for you, if you like, you can take a daisy, And this is not biblical, and it's not recommended, okay? And remove the first petal saying, in persecution, he loves me. In famine, 
he loves me. In tribulation, he loves me. In distress, he loves me. In nakedness, he loves me. In peril or in sword, he loves me. In death, he loves me. Nor angels, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves me. 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 Amen. He loves me. Right to the end, he loves me. He loves us, amen, and it's unconditional love. He forgives, he cleanses us, he gives us salvation. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't hold our wrongdoings against him. He loves us right to the end. Could I have the piano, please? If any man, if any thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. As we know, the Holy Ghost was given later on in time on the day of Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost takes place deep within our innermost beings, and there is a daily, continuous, refreshing flow of living water into our lives. This is not literal living rivers of living water, but this is the Holy Spirit given to us by the source of creation and life himself. The words of Jesus recorded in John's gospel explain it like this. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. To receive the Holy Ghost, we need to surrender ourselves to Jesus, and to come unto him, so that we can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Our physical bodies are the dwelling place for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is eternal and is spoken of as living water, given to us from the creator of life. We do not know how long our sojourn will be on this earth, but while we are here, we should make offerings and praise and rejoice and worship and assemble and get together and glorify God and reflect on the glory of God. Remember everything that he has done for us. We do know that there will be an appointed time on God's calendar, a fixed date, a specific hour, when Christ will return and catch away the church. And all those filled with the Holy Ghost will be empowered by the Holy Ghost 
to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. This mortal will put on immortality. Our frail mortal bodies will be changed to immortal. Full deliverance will have taken place. The journey will be finished and we will have crossed over to our heavenly promised land. Tonight, let us take time to quench our thirst if we have and come to the front or stay in your chairs and worship God. Give him praise and give him glory. But if anybody wants prayer, anybody wants to pray for the Holy Spirit, the altars are open. You may come forward and we'll be happy to pray for you. Amen.